It's good to see you this morning. So let's jump into the Word. Uh, we have, over the last four weeks, really kind of jumped into one scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, mainly verse 7 and verse 8, but uh, our main scripture is verse 7. So pull that up. And we'll, we'll read it one more time as we get started because what we're trying to do is to realize that in our world, there are spirits that we are fighting. And God has emphatically said that, listen, I have not given you a spirit of intimidation or fear. Not, not what we call natural fear, but, but fear that starts to cause us to stop or to draw back or to quit or to give up. It makes us timid or intimidated in the situation. Uh, every day I wake up, as we've talked about, I, I'm, I'm afraid. I know I got three weeks and, and, and I'm, I'm trying to do lunch menus and I'm trying to figure this out and that. And I walk around this thing every afternoon and I'm just praying and talking to God. And it's like, God, you know, and, and, and all the stuff that goes on day by day. So fear is normal. I wake up every day afraid, but not fear like it's talking about in the Bible. Not intimidation that says, oh, I just don't want to get up today. I, I just don't want, I don't, everything's going to go bad today. Every, not intimidated by what's in front of me. So in your life, God says, I didn't give you that spirit. As a Christian, I did not give you the spirit of fear, but listen, I gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Over the last two weeks, we've dealt with the first two of those, power and love. In fact, almost like a week and a half because everybody said, I think he preached on power again. We skipped love. No, I had to show you that love is simply the reaction of power. See, if, if I tell you, if I tell you I love you, I can only love you to the power that's in me. That's why we as the world, we keep trying to fix uh, racial problems and, and we try to, trying to fix police problems and we're trying to fix all different. But here's the problem. It's not that it isn't a good idea. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not that I wish everybody didn't love everybody and everybody didn't get along with everybody. But here's the problem. You're asking someone, I'm asking Sam, Sam, I want you to love everybody unconditionally. And you know what? No matter how much Sam tries or wants to, it's not natural or it's not in him to do that. You can make all the laws. You can, you can, you can pass all the ordinances you want and say we got to do this and you can't do this and you can't stick your tongue out at nobody and you can't look at somebody sideways and you can, you can do whatever you want. The problem is, is that the nature and the heart of man can't produce it. It cannot do it. It's just in our nature. So what they're trying to do is good. The problem is there's only one way to do it. God can look at you and say, God is love. Okay, God is love. There's a problem. God doesn't start off at love. God says, I'm all-powerful. I'm almighty. I'm all-sufficient. I don't have need of anything. I am okay just the way I am. Because I have all of those qualities, therefore I can be all-love. So if God corrects you, does he love you? Yeah, because he's all-powerful and he's almighty and everything he does is for your good, it's always for your good, then it has to be love. 
It can't be anything but love. So when he says God is love, that means everything that he does, every decision that he makes, everything he takes you through, everything is love because God has all power. Okay, just like a parent, if a parent looks at you and says, hey, you got to get in the car. Okay, put your seatbelt on. I don't want to wear my seatbelt. I don't want to put your seatbelt on. Now, I'm all powerful. The car's not cranking up, and we're not moving until you do what? Put your Now, what does the kid think? You don't love me. You, you, don't, you won't let me do what I want to do. You don't like me. But it's because of my love that I'm putting certain restrictions and things because I can see what they can't see. Because I'm all powerful then I also can, any of my decisions are built out of love. Now, now God, Jesus said it this way, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly Father, who only wants to give good gifts, how much more perfect are his decisions? So when he looks at us, he says, listen, through the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that was in Jesus, I have given you my power. So that no enemy that's ever come along, no enemy that's ever been, can defeat you just like it couldn't defeat me. So you are all powerful. Look at the first Messiah and say, I am all powerful. You know death can't even stop you? Do you know no enemy, no weapon formed against you can prosper? Do you understand that he who lives in you is all-powerful. That's why Paul said, I can do some things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why some of y'all believe. That's how you live. You live intimidated. No, you can stand up in the morning and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because he's all-powerful and he's put that same power in me. So therefore, I become all-powerful. And God says, you know what I want you to do with that power? I want you to love. The only way I can love is that if I get up every day, then even if you mistreat me, it's okay. It's all working for my good. Well, somebody, you know, put something about you on Facebook. It's okay. It's all working for my good. See, they didn't realize when I woke up this morning that I'm all powerful. There, there ain't no weapon formed against me that's going to prosper. There's no, bro, you shouldn't. Well, would you rather live intimidated? Or would you rather live in power? See, it's that power that allows me to love. Without that power, I can't love. I'll bring to church a philosophy of love that'll mess a church up. Because when we mention love in church, it's only if I feel like I can forgive you. And, and even if I forgive you, I can't forget. And I'm never going to treat you the same way ever again because of what you did to me. That's our version of Christian love. God says, you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power. We got churches full of people that have a form of godliness. We got preachers up in pulpits that have a form of godliness, but don't have power. 
That's why we marvel at people who do. That's why ever since people like Martin Luther King Jr. and others, you don't see many people like that. Why? Because Martin Luther King Jr. had the understanding that he was all-powerful. That even if you killed him, you couldn't stop him. That made him powerful. But we kind of twisted all that And we can't produce what we want to produce. Now, that was the last few weeks, so you want to go back and re-listen to those. The third one that I need to deal with you with is a sound mind. So if I have power, which produces and gives me love, then it creates in me soundness in my decisions. Let's say I am that parent in the car, and my child looks at me and says, I don't want to put on my seatbelt. Why do I got to put on my seatbelt? What? As a parent, I don't just look and say, you do it because I told you to. I look back and I say, let me explain to you. Here, let me pull up on my phone a picture. Here's a car. That was a car that was on the news last night that wrecked. It ejected somebody, 150 feet, killed them because they didn't have the, none of them had their seatbelts on, died. I don't want you to die. So what it does is it creates in me, number three, a sound mind so that I can answer and give an answer for every question that's ever brought to, Brother Lot, why can't I do this? Brother Lot, is it okay to do this? Brother Lot, it, it, why, why can't I talk this way? Why can't I do this? To If I have power and I have love, then I must have a sound mind. And go with me in your Bibles. And we'll come back to this. Let me show it to you this way. Go with me to Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. So I say, we're talking about your mind and your life. We're past past power. We're past just love. We're talking about your life. So I say this. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Let's just keep going. I'm going to read all the way to 25. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the who? To the Spirit. What, what your mind is, is saying, we need this. We're missing out. We're, the mind is contrary. The flesh is contrary to what the Spirit is trying to produce. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do what? Whatever you, you can't do it. The acts of the flesh, uh, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality. So so if any of these uh, come up in your life, if there's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will what? So if this is your lifestyle, understand you are not living under the power of God, in the kingdom of God, 
You're living by your flesh. This is the way Paul would have preached. If Paul was standing up here today, he would not say, let's just love one another. He would be telling you this same thing. He would say, love then has to produce because if the Spirit is involved and it is a power from God and a love from God, then it will produce the life of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, listen to this, the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit brings out in my life is, notice the first one, not your love, Not your love, his love. You'll get sick of somebody's love. Even if you think you love them. That's why 50% of most marriages end in divorce. Because you'll get sick of their love. You'll get sick of them looking at you saying, but I love you. Yeah, but you treat me like junk. But I love you. Yeah, but you lie to me. I love you. But you've been cheating. But I love you. I'm about sick of your love. I'm about sick of all the love you keep talking about. So what has to happen is this love that we're talking about, true love has to come from God. That's the reason I have to be in worship like this morning, and I have to praise, and I'm filling myself up. Why? Because today I have to love, and the only way that I can truly love everybody, no matter what color, shape, size, no matter what they've done to me, no matter what they said about me, no matter if they're good or bad, no matter if they want something or don't want something, the only way I can do that is that that must become a fruit of the Spirit that's living inside of me. You get that? Listen, not only that, but love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. This is your normal lifestyle. When you are filled with the Spirit, this is the way you act all the time. Gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, look at the person beside you and ask them, do you belong to him? So I don't care what you think. I want to ask you, do you belong to it? Yeah, I asked him to forgive. I didn't ask you to ask him to forgive you. And then went back to your own lifestyle. I want to ask you, do you belong to him? For those who belong to Christ have done what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the, let us also Keep in step with the Spirit. This word that we're dealing with today, when we talk about, go back with me to First, Second Timothy 1 and 7. When we talk about this word, uh, sound mind, let, let me translate it this way. If I reread Second Timothy, I love the way this guy broke it down. He said, this is the way it would read if you, if you understand what the word is trying to say. Here's what it would say. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and he has given you a mind that has been delivered, rescued, revived, salvaged, protected, and brought into the place of safety and security so that it is no longer affected by the ideology, the unfounded, and the absurd thoughts that cross your mind. Do you have a sound mind? Or do you spend most of your time with idiotic ideology crossing through it all the time? 
thoughts, fears, anxieties, worries, what might happen, what could happen. All the stuff you read about from, from all the fear cycle that comes through the news and everything else. What, what is it that you are promoting in your life? I love the way this writer says it. He says, why is it so important for you to understand this? Because when you begin to live a life of faith, when you reach out to do the impossible, because that's what it is to your mind. If I look at you today and I say, you need to quit being a drunk. Oh, bro, a lot, man. That's been in my family for all. I don't care. When I reach out and ask you to do the impossible by faith, you got to have the right mind. Your mind has to be rescued. It has to be brought out. You can't bring the old mind and try to figure out how God's going to do things in your life. I can't bring in anything in my life, I cannot bring my old mind into how God's going to do it. Whether it's the stuff we're doing in the backyard here or whether it's stuff in people's lives or whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. I cannot bring my mind into the situation because my mind cannot comprehend it. I must have the mind of Christ to see it even when I haven't got it, even when I can't touch it, even when I don't know how it's going to happen, even when it seems impossible. It simply is happening because by faith, you can accomplish anything because greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Listen, most of you in this room are torn to pieces because you don't understand that when you begin this faith walk, it's so important to fix the mind because you're trying to reach out to do the impossible. Listen to what he says. The enemy will try to assault you mentally and emotionally in an attempt to stop your progress. For instance, he may speak to your mind saying things like, you can't do this. This doesn't make sense. You are crazy. Anybody ever do something for God and try to reach out and do something? Let somebody go, forgive them, bake them a cake and take it away. And and, and the whole time it's like, this is ridiculous. This will not. Because the mind cannot comprehend. That's why it must require the mind of Christ. So let's see what the Bible talks about when it talks about a sound mind. Go to Colossians 1, 1 and 2. Listen to it just through the Bible. I'm going to read a few verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people at Colossia, and the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ... Grace and peace be to you from our who? Father. Listen, he says, from who we are, our identity, we get peace. That's why the Bible relates it this way. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The first step in this understanding in Colossians is that we have a knowledge in our mind that we belong to the family. Number two, go to 1 Peter 1 and 13. 1 Peter 1 and 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully what? Sober, let your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. It not only does it give me an identity, but my mind also alerts me to the things that are trying to stop me for the things that are... In other words, when somebody says, 
man, we, we really need to, to, to buy a, a big old Winnebago and, and enjoy our life and enjoy retirement, enjoy my mind quickly catches says, Tim, this stuff ain't going to matter. Son, what are you living for? Don't you know Jesus is coming back? You're going to be sitting at a campsite in that big old Winnebago when Jesus comes back. The first thing he's going to ask you is, what in the world are you doing here? Why did I catch you here? Well, I thought, you know, I've been... Now, don't get me wrong. If God gave you the Winnebago ministry and told you to go campsite to campsite and start being a, a traveling preacher, God bless you. But there's a lot of people God did not wake up this morning and say, you need to go to the golf course. There's a lot of people God did not wake up this morning and say, you need to use that boat that you spent all that money on. It'd be a waste of a good day to go to church. I mean, pick a rainy day to go to church. See, the mind controls what I'm looking forward to. What what I'm looking for. How about 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. Let's look at that one. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine what? Power to demolish strongholds. Okay. So, man, we're going to tear down strongholds. What, What are strongholds? Addictions, broken lives, right? God's going to tear down strongholds. Well, hold hold your britches. Let's go to the next verse. We demolish. Oh, there's your stronghold. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every, he didn't say nothing about Jack Daniels in there. Didn't say nothing about being a Marlboro man. Did, didn't, didn't say anything about any of that kind of stuff. Didn't say all the stuff we like to pick at and say, that's, you know, so-and-so ain't living a sinful life. Their sinful life is here. Your sinful life is, is what you keep listening to on the radios, what you keep putting in your mind, and what you watched on TV last night, and the conversations you had on Facebook and the Internet with your chat groups and whatever else you was in. That's where your sinful life comes from. What you do is just a reflection of what you already have thought out. So when he talks about stronghold, man, I'm your preacher's preacher, tear down strongholds. You just want to look at them the next thing and say, what crazy thing are you thinking? Because that's what he's tearing down. Whatever thing that you're thinking that doesn't line up with his knowledge and his way and his direction, that's the stronghold he says I'm after. Because if I can fix what's going on in your mind, I'll fix all of life. I'll fix all of your life. Go with me to Philippians 4, 6 through 8. I can see you're all excited. Look at the person beside you and say, this is good stuff. It'll fix it. It'll fix your problem. Do not be anxious about anything. It's talking about your mind. 
Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's all in your mind. You're taking your mind and you're saying, here is my problem, God. I'm giving it to you. I am, I am bringing my petition to you. And then I'm going with my mind, I'm going to speak how awesome you are and powerful you are and how you're able to solve the problem. I'm going to give you glory even before it happens. And listen what happens. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding then, will do what? Will guard your hearts and your in Christ Jesus. You get it? God wants you to have a sound mind. I grew up with all the power. I grew up in, in, in church denomination where, man, if we could, we could have a powerful move of God, that fixes everything. No, it don't. It didn't fix most of the people in that church. They were just as messed up after church as they were before church. And they love people. Problem was, was their mind. They didn't want to transform their mind. And it's amazing how when people ask me about denominations and different things, I tell people, what we do is we migrate toward what is comfortable for us. <coughs> Let me split it this way. Some people like love. Let's just love everybody. That's going to be who we are. We're just going to love everybody. we the church of love. We're just going to love. Well, without power and a sound mind, you're going to get into a lot of trouble. And then there's people that just want to have a good mind. Well, I know what I'm supposed to do. There's more people at the bars, more people I've met through my life and quote more scripture than me and can speak more Bible and can read. I mean, from the time they were little, they were taught in Bibles class how to name all the books of the Bible. And man, they, they got all kind of education, but they got no power. So it just frustrates them. They got all this knowledge. Could you start talking to them about God? Oh, I know. I know. I know as much as anybody. Probably know about more Bible than you do, preacher. Yeah, but you got no power. See, a healthy church has an understanding that, yes, you need knowledge. Yes, we have to love. And yes, we have to have power. And when you mix those three together, you can overcome every enemy that comes in your life. So when people say, well, what's different about all seasons? Hopefully, we are a good blend of the three. Now, the part that you don't like, it'll be the part that stretches you, right? Yeah. You'll say, I like it down there. But man, that music, I'm telling you, I just, I just wish they would just, just play some soft stuff and some easy stuff where I could just sit here and sleep. Well, see, that would be contrary to what you need. You need to praise. You need to change because listen it is in the praise and the worship that you're filling yourself up with power so i can't change that and somebody will say oh, man I, I i wish i wish they do this i wish no the thing is is that it is a mixture of the knowledge the praise am i not quoting scriptures am i not preaching the bible am i not yeah and it all goes together to fill you so that you're able to not be filled with fear or anxiety, but with power, love, and a sound mind that can overcome the enemy. <clears throat> Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is, is admirable, if anything is excellent of praiseworthy, think about those things. Take your mind and force yourself, focus on the things that are good. If it's not good, quit thinking about it. If, if it's not healthy, get it out of your get it out of your system. Because this is what's going to rob you in your life. Okay. In the Old Testament, there's always a symbol of what happens in the New Testament. We've used some of these examples through this time of Samson and others. But I just want to do a parallel real quick. And I'm not going to go to any scriptures. But just, just I want you to think about two men in the Bible. Both had the same call. Both were the kings. But yet they had the total different mindset. One operated out of anxiety and fear. The other operated out of faith. And it changed both of their lives. They were David, King David, and King Saul. See, King David was God's kind of king. He did not look like anything. He did not, but he had a love for God that overshadowed everything else in his life. No relationship was more important to him than his love for God. Whereas King Saul, King Saul was man's kind of king. He was taller than everybody else. He was bigger than everybody else. He looked like he should be the king. He looked like he should be the one that everybody should follow. He looked, he talked like a king. He, he acted like a king, but he wasn't. David was a man after God's own heart. Saul was a man after people's praise. <coughs> David's kingdom was eternal through Christ. Saul's kingship was rejected. This is what happens. David was kind and benevolent. Because notice now, when I am operating in the Spirit, living in that praise, living in that, what happens? Love becomes natural. He was benevolent. Saul was cruel. David was forgiving. Saul was unforgiving. David was penitent. In fact, this is the highlights of both of their lives. Saul only repented when he had no other options. Let's be honest. Come on. Can we be honest? Most of you came to church or are at church right now because it hurts. In other words, like Saul, Samuel came to him and said, Saul, God told you to do this. Why is it that I hear sheep that he told you to kill? Why is it that you didn't do what? And Saul first says, you know, them people. The people made me do it. Then he was, he was like, well, I wanted to take the sheep. And, and, and the reason, it'd be like, you know, the reason I robbed the liquor store, Brother Lot, is because I owed back tithes. And I want to pay my tithes, so I stole from the liquor store just so I could catch my tithes up. And that's what Saul was saying. Saul was saying, I kept the sheep that he told me to kill so I could bring them back and we were going to do a big old sacrifice. Finally, after Samuel just kept Saul, Saul. Saul finally says, I'm sorry. And some of us in this room, that's, that's our way. When we ain't got no more corners, we got nowhere else to hide, and they finally show us the picture on the phone after we done told them ten times, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Well... I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean to. 
because it's really not true repentance. I ask this question all the time to the youth, and I'll ask it to you. Are you more afraid, does it bother you worse to do something wrong, or does it bother you worse to get caught doing something wrong? See, Saul, as long as he didn't get caught, it didn't bother him. But when he got caught, oh, it bothered him a lot. He got jailhouse religion. David, on the other hand, it bothered him from the moment it took place. David was a man after God. And when he repented, when you read about his repentance, he writes psalms about repentance. When he repents, it's a brokenness that says, God, I don't want to ever live like this. This is not who I want to be. Forgive me and restore me. See, one man had a pseudo-repentance, but he had too much pride. The other man was void of pride and was able to humble himself, which is all God wanted. David was courageous then. Isn't it amazing how this power, love, sound mind? David was courageous. Saul was fearful. One of the funny stories is David killing Goliath. But the funny part is the two men meet. And don't you remember? David looks out and sees Goliath and says, somebody needs to go out there and shut that person up. And if I got to do it, let me go do it. I'll do it. It won't be no problem. And he just gets to talking. Let me go. I'll, I'll take care of it. And it gets word back to Saul. Saul calls him into his tent. Notice where Saul is hiding in his tent. And when he comes in and David tells him, I'll go do it, what does Saul offer him? He is armor. Think about it. Here's a boy, a 15, 20-year-old young man, and he says, I'll go out there and fight him. I'll take care of him. And this old man that's supposed to be the king, that's supposed to be the one out of he said, look, I got my sword over here, and I got, I got a, a shield, and you can take any of my stuff you want. Because one is afraid. One is courageous. One is courageous enough to go face the fear. The other one is too fearful to get out of his tent. David was at peace with God. Saul was separated from God. Remember what we read in Galatians? That those who do such things cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, don't let somebody trick you with bad theology. You cannot live in a worldly mind, a worldly life, and think that I'm connected with God. No more than Saul thought he was connected with God. You either are producing the fruits of the Spirit in your life, or you're not. You're either producing the fruits of flesh, or you're producing the fruits of the Spirit. Now, Romans is a fun book that I love. Because if you're not saved, they take you to Romans and they, they do the Romans road. We're going to do the Romans road to get you saved. But what if you are saved? What if you in here are saved? You, you say, I know the Lord. I, I'm, I'm born again. Well, then what would Romans mean for me? Well, let me give you the saved versions of the Romans road. Can I do that? You can write these down. You can create your own Roman road. 
Let's start off in Romans 8, 3 through 10. You're saved. What does God want? For what the law was powerless to do because it was weak and by the what? The flesh. We talked about the flesh and versus the spirit. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be sin offering. And he condemned sin in the flesh. So, so that, that just means that Jesus paid the price, right? And, and it's over and, and he, he paid for my sins. I don't have to, no, no. Notice what the next line says. In order, so you're saved, right? So he did this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be met in us who do not live according to the, oh, there's a Romans road for me. Absolutely there is. For you that are saved, yes, by his stripes, by his blood, by his death, you were saved in order that you could live a life that you could not have lived before. Listen, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Who, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the... But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit... I know y'all read this all the time. No. You're not going to hear this preached very often. Because most people just want to get you saved. Are you saved? And then you're saved and miserable. You weren't meant to be saved and miserable. You were meant to be saved and free. You were meant to be saved and powerful. You were supposed to be saved and able to love. You were supposed to be saved and have a sound mind and you don't have to take all kind of medication and whatever to keep your nerves in check. That's the most disgraceful thing that you could say about a Christian is that I'm saved, I have the peace of God, the hope of glory, and I have to take medicine to sleep. Now you may still have to do it tonight, but your goal ought to be as a Christian, I am going to work on the fact that I am going to work on my mind until the point to where I'm free from all the anxiety that the world keeps throwing at me. I didn't tell you to go home tonight and quit your medication. Some of y'all be calling me at three in the morning, but a lot, I can't sleep and I don't want that. But what I'm telling you is your goal and what Paul would teach you is your goal is that you're saved, therefore you need to be pressing toward a life that is free from all the anxiety and fear and worry and all the things the world gets all caught up in. You should be not be able to push out lustful thoughts or thoughts that don't match what you are. You should be able to take captive any thought that doesn't align itself with God. You should focus on the things that bring praise and glory and honor. Those ought to be the things that you, you may not talk as much as you know. I don't talk a lot because there ain't a whole lot of people I want to talk with and talk about. Most of the junk most people talk about, I don't want to talk about. Well, don't you want to know what's going on? No. Really, I don't. If it makes you happy, keeps you up at night, I like my sound mind. I, I, I like not having to worry about everything and everything and be able to do great things for God. 
For those who live according to flesh have their mindset on this. Verse 6, notice. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Remember, I told you, even though I may make a law that says love people, a law that you need to, to treat people, it can't do it. You, you, you can't do it. It's, it's, it's an impossibility. Let me, let me say it this way. The thing that most people hate is the very thing that they're caught up in. I always used to say, if someone gossips, if, if you just want to have fun with them, all you got to do is walk up and just say, you know, somebody said something about you the other day. What did they say? I'm not going to repeat it. I'm not going to even start it. And just walk away. You will have messed up their whole world. Because the worst thing a gossiper worries about is somebody's... All they're doing is living out their fears. And in our society, hate, racism, all the different stuff. Do you know the problem? It's on both sides. One side don't trust one side no more than the other, and one side don't like one side, one side thinks this... You act like one side is the, is the good side claiming the other one's bad. It's just the nature of our lives. And he said, listen to me. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not, what? I'm not trying to mess up your, your Christian theology. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. If you don't have this Spirit living in you, abiding in you, then whatever it is you called getting saved didn't happen. You may have felt guilty like Saul and said, I'm sorry only because somebody caught you, but you didn't mean it. And because you didn't mean it, the Spirit of God didn't move in in your life. So you have a moment in time where you said, that's the moment I told the preacher and everybody I was sorry. But it's not the moment where I was broken and contrite in my spirit and the Spirit came into my life and changed my life. Oh, I wish I could get that to the church. I wish I could get that to you. Verse 10. But Christ is in you. Then, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. All right, that's the first step on the road to Romans. How about step two? Go with me to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans road for Christians. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as... Is living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your 
Look at the person beside you and say, do you have a sound mind? See, that's the whole question. Do you have a sound mind? Or when we get in the car in a few minutes, is something dumb going to come out of your mouth? You just kind of look at them like, what? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Chapter 14, verses 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Wow. So it's not about me? It's not about me having more stuff and more fun things to do and more. The kingdom of God's not about that. I thought I thought I got saved so God could bless me. That's what they told me. No, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. In the Holy Spirit. It's about walking a walk and living a life that God can produce good things through you in this messed up world. You want a little more Romans Road? Let's go to chapter 15. One more. This is for Christians now. This isn't for unsaved people. May the God of hope do what? Feel you. That's what we do here on Sundays. Through praise. In a few minutes, we'll give an altar call. And, and if you're not full, if you're not full, you have the opportunity to come and to be prayed for and to be able to raise your hands and say, Pastor, will you just pray for me that God would just feel me today? Push out all the stuff that don't belong. Will you just pray that He will feel me? Why? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope. Well, how does all this happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. For God has not given you a spirit of fear. Brother Lord, I'm worried about my marriage. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about... God has not given you a spirit of fear. But God has given you something. His Holy Spirit. And through His Spirit, you possess power. Power to overcome. Power to not be pushed over. Power not to be defeated. Power, no matter what weapon, enemy comes against you, no matter what the doctor says tomorrow, there's no power on this earth greater than the power that lives within me. And because of that, I can love freely. I can love freely. If I know, Sam, that everything in my life is going to be taken care of, then I don't have to worry. And it releases me to love others, to care for other people. Because I know God's going to take care of me. Finally, what it gives me when the enemy attacks is a sound mind. I see it coming. I, I can see him coming around the corner. I, I know I can discern what he's trying to do. And it gives me a sound mind to know that I am not going to be 
overrun, overtaken, bombarded by all the stuff that the world throws at me. If you're in this room today, what you came to church to really do, if you, if you understand it as a Christian, the way the Romans rode for Christian works, is to be filled. Because some of you got to go to school tomorrow. And you're going to need to be filled to deal with some of the people you got to deal with. Some of you got to go to work tomorrow. And you know the person you work right beside, it's like, oh, Lord, I need a lot of Jesus. I know. I, I'm not. I know you do. I hope they don't go to work and saying that about you. I hope people aren't at their church this morning saying, oh, Lord, i got to go home and work with them tomorrow. Lord, if I hear one more whiny complaint out of them, I think I'm just going to choke myself. But you need to be filled because there's people that need to see the overflow of the Spirit in your life, the overflow of love and peace and joy. They, need to, they just need to see it and say, man, there's something different about you. What is it? Well, I'm full of the Spirit. What do you mean full of the Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about it. Let me take you down the Romans road. Because, see, I gave up a long time ago asking people are they saved. You'll notice I never preached salvation message. Because if I walked up to 90% of y'all in here today and asked, do you know the Lord? Oh, yeah, I got saved years ago. I don't even preach that. Somebody probably done told you you got it. Don't even know how you got it. Don't know when you got it. Don't know what it is. What I do is I preach from the moment you say you got saved to the person you want to be. Now that's a different road. That's a different road, but it's the greatest road there is. God did not save you to leave you stuck in your addiction, stuck in your mess, stuck in your past, stuck in your hate, stuck in your anger, stuck in all the stuff that you lived in. God saved you to set you free and to give you a life and a future. But to do that, He's got to give you power. He's got to teach you how to love, which means He's got to put His love in you. And He's got to change that mind of yours that keeps thinking all the crazy things and disbelieving. And He's got to change your mind and give it the mind of Christ. Brother Lot, is it that simple? Yeah. He does all the work. But you have to do all the coming. Every day of my life, I have to come to it. Every day of my life, I have to once again kneel down and say, God, the world's too big for me today. God, problems are too big for me. God, I don't know what to do. But Lord, today, I praise you. And today, I, I humble myself and I ask you to fill me with everything you got, everything I need to be the person you called. Isn't it amazing that of all the things the disciples wanted Jesus to teach them, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Well, there's only one way to learn. It's called practice. If you're in this room today, and you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm saved. I, if you ask me, do I believe in Jesus? Yes. But I'll be honest with you, I'm empty. I know it because those things you listed and, and some of the stuff, that's me. I'm envious and I'm, I'm, I get angry and I'm, I got all these issues. And I, God said, I didn't save you to leave you there. 
I didn't save you to leave your marriage there. I didn't save you to leave your kids there. I saved you because I want to finish the good work I started in. But I do it through my spirit. Will you stand? These scriptures we've been studying in 2 Timothy. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you. Stir it up. As I just said, daily I try to stir that up, what's in me. That was put in me through God and through the laying on of hands of others, just like Paul told Timothy. Timothy, remember when I laid my hands on you, son. Remember when we prayed for you. Remember and stir it up. If you're in this room today, this is the way God set the system up. I'm sorry. I wish you could just go back and get in your car and and it just somewhere between now and when you get to the highway, you just get this zap. Doesn't work that way. There's a part that you play in the process and it requires you stepping out and saying, I need. A broken and contrite spirit of God said, I'll never turn away. That's what made David a great king. It's what made Saul a failure. If Saul was standing here today, he would look around and say, I'm all right. I'm okay. I'll figure it out. It ain't that bad. If David was standing here today, David would say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me He makes me to lie down by green pastures. He, He restores my soul. He would write psalm after psalm of how He would run to Him. He said, I'm surrounded by all these people, but I don't trust in any of them. Only You, O Lord, do I trust in. That's what made David great. That's what made Saul bad and weak. And you stand here this morning in the same place. I hope that every one of you are full. I hope that during praise and worship, you just, man, you just like, man, I am so full of God. I hope that through this sermon, God just bubbled up in you as we used to call it, little man inside you doing flip-flops. But if you're here right now and you say, Pastor, there's still emptiness in me. There's still anxiety in me and worry in me about stuff. Then God sent you here to be filled if that's you, with every head bowed, not, not worried about anybody else around, just you, I want you to be courageous. I want you to step out. Don't, don't look who else is stepping out. It's just about you. And just say, Pastor, I just want you to pray with me. And I want you to pray that God will fill me because i got a busy week next week. i got a lot of stress on me right now. There's no shame in that. The shame is not asking God into the problem. The shame is saying, God, I got it. I don't need you. I don't know what all you're dealing with, but God does. And I believe with all my heart, He sent you here today to be filled so that you could go next week and face whatever it is you've got to face. I believe that with all my heart. God did not intend for you to go home the same way you came. God intended you to be filled. Just like He wants me filled. Father, today, I thank you before I ever pray for these that are here. 
And Fathers, I pray dismissal upon those that are in this congregation. And I thank you for letting them hear me this morning. Thank you. I pray that God, they will give the devil fits next week. That through your spirit, they will shine and be a light in a dark world. They will be salt to a world that needs salting. God, let your spirit lead them and guide them. Let them be filled every opportunity they need it. Let them take the time to read, to pray, to praise. Fill them, Lord. Continually fill them. And I thank you, even before I pray for these, in Jesus' name, amen.